Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good morning. It is fun to see all of you right in front of me. I don't have to be like, you're right here. I love it. Okay. Today's feast day is a very, very special, very special feast day. Whose feast day is it today? Do you know? Whose feast day is it today? Do you know? Do you remember the guy's name? Do you remember? Did you say it? Leo! High five. High five. Is there anybody out here named Leo? Do we have any Leos here? I know we've got a Leo. Where are you, Leo? Leo Gershutz, it's your feast day. How do you feel? He feels pretty great. He can barely put a sentence together. He's overwhelmed. Okay. It's not only Leo's feast day, it's also my feast day. I'll tell you why. Because when I was confirmed, when I was a junior in high school, the saint that I chose was Saint Leo the Great. So this feast day has a very special meaning for me. It's got a special meaning for Leo. And whenever it's your name feast day, that's that's a very special day for you. So Pope Leo, Pope Leo was an amazing, amazing pope. You know, there's a lot of popes who became saints throughout the church's history. But only three of them have been given the title the Great. Only three of them have been given the title The Great. You've got Pope St. Leo the Great. You've got Pope St. Gregory the Great. You've got Pope John Paul II, Pope John Paul the Great, right? He's the most recent one. He died in 2005. So these are amazing popes, and Leo the Great is certainly, uh, he, is, he stands above the rest in many ways. He was pope during the 5th century, which is a long, long time ago. So the year, the 400s, long time ago. It was a very, very difficult time in the world, a very, very difficult time for the church. At this time, the Roman Empire, which, was con- which had controlled everything, essentially, the Roman Empire was crumbling. It was completely crumbling. So everything that they knew about how to live life was basically falling apart. All the roads were falling apart. Government was falling apart. All their systems for food and water and transport, everything was falling apart. So you have the Roman Empire crumbling. At the same time, you have this rise of all of these different heresies. Say heresy. Heresy. What is heresy? Heresy is false teaching, false beliefs. It's said that at one point when Leo Leo was pope, it's said that there was something like three-fourths, so 75% of all Christians didn't actually believe what the church teaches and believes about Jesus. That 75% of the faithful were believing false teachings. You think that's a problem? Say yes. Is that a big problem? Say yes. Yeah, that's a big problem. You have 75% of the church believing false teachings. And the worst thing at this time is there was this guy named Attila the Hun. Attila the Hun. He was a warlord. He was this general who had amassed the largest army ever seen. He had conquered everything in front of him. Everywhere his army went, everybody was killed, and pretty much everything was destroyed. Attila the Hun was a warlord, and he had 500,000 men behind him, half a million men in his army. And they were marching to Rome to destroy the church, to kill every Christian, man, woman, and child, and to destroy everything. It was the year 452, long time ago. Attila the Hun was on the outskirts of the city of Rome, 
500,000 men behind him, soldiers, horses, swords, bows and arrows, everything he needed, all the provisions, he was ready to wage a campaign that was going to last years, leaving nothing behind but blood in his wake. He was on the outskirts of Rome. Pope Leo was in a very serious situation. What is he going to do? Here's the thought. Was he going to send all the Christians to run to the mountains to hide? No. Maybe, maybe he's going to send out an opposing army to go face down Attila the Hun and his army. He doesn't do that either. What he does is unimaginable. This old man, by himself, leaves the papal palace and walks to the edge of the Tiber River, which is the river that cuts through the city of Rome, and by himself faces off with Attila the Hun. He has a conversation with him, and he pleads him, pleads with him to leave the city of Rome. Here's the part, this is what happens next. This is what historians, people who study stuff, people who study history, this is what they can't explain. Attila the Hun, who had conquered everything, who had killed everybody, who had destroyed everything before this, Attila the Hun, he turns around and marches in the opposite direction. Doesn't touch a thing, and no one is harmed. How did that happen? This is what happened. That according to the eyewitnesses who were there, you have Pope Leo right here, standing off with Attila the Hun right there, his generals, armor bearers, his whole army behind him. And in the midst of the conversation, the story goes that suddenly appearing to the right and to the left of Pope Leo was St. Peter and St. Paul. Now, quick question. At this point, the year 452, where are St. Peter and Paul? Colin? They're in heaven. They died a long time ago. So here's Pope Leo standing right here in front of the general. St. Peter shows up and St. Paul shows up, and they're holding in their hands these flaming swords pointed right at Attila's face. And then it says, they say, that behind them appears this massive army of angels all holding swords above their heads. And Attila the Hun sees this and realizes, I am no match for this. And he turns around and marches in the opposite direction, doesn't touch Rome. This is not the first time something like this has happened. This is not the first time that God has revealed the angel army. This happened in the Old Testament. There's a story in the Old Testament, the book of Kings, where we hear about the prophet Elisha. The prophet Elisha is camped out with the Israelite army who are surrounded at this time by the massive Syrian army. The Syrians had come to destroy Israel. They had come to destroy God's people. And they were surrounded by the Syrian army. And the commander of the Israelite army is panicking. He's like, we're going to be all destroyed. And he turns to Elisha, right? This is what it says. Alas, my master, what shall we do? That's what the commander says. Elisha said, fear not, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray thee, 
Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the commander, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see what happened? This commander, he became so terrified that this massive army was right there. He says, we're going to be destroyed. Elisha says, Lord, help him to see what is real. Help him to see with more than just the eyes in his head. And he prays, and all of a sudden, God gives him this ability to see. He sees this angel army with fiery chariots surrounding them, and they win. Guys, when the invisible is made visible, everything changes. I want you to say this after me. When the invisible, when the invisible is made visible, everything changes. One more time, all together. When the invisible is made visible, everything changes. When the invisible is made visible, everything changes. Everything changes. Guys, this is our story. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus Christ, this is our story. That the invisible God, who no one saw, becomes visible in the person of Jesus Christ. The invisible God who made the stars in the sky, the invisible God who made the rings around Saturn, that God becomes flesh. The God that no one could see comes down. And we could see him. Guys, this is, this is why you go to a Catholic school, but this is the story we are trying to tell you. This is the story every day that we are trying to help you believe that invisible things are real. Just because you don't see it, does that mean it's not real? Say no. Say it like you mean it. Just because you can't see it does not mean that it's not real. Every single mass, invisible things are happening. In the gospel we just heard, Jesus says about the coming of the kingdom of God, Jesus says about the coming of this kingdom, it can't be observed. Like right now, I'm using my eyes to observe you. I can see you. You're physically in front of me. I'm using my eyes to observe you. Jesus says, the coming of that kingdom, the kingdom of God, it can't be observed because it's invisible. If something's invisible, does that mean it's not real? No. Guys, when you come to Mass, like you are right now, what we see with our eyes, what do we see? We see the sanctuary. We see an altar. We see candles. We see flames. We see altar servers. We see the crucifix. We see the tabernacle. You see a priest in funny, shiny clothes, right? You see a priest in vestments. We sing songs. There's things that we observe. But is the thing, are the things that we observe all that is real at Mass? Or is there more? Say more. There is more. There is more. I want you to close your eyes for me for a second. Just like that story where Elisha prayed and said, I want you, God, to give him the ability to see, to see the invisible. I want you to ask the Father right now, ask God, God, help me to see, help me to picture what's actually happening in this Mass. 
Help me to see right now, God. Help me to picture the angels that are filling this church, that are filling this sanctuary. These beings of light and fire. God, help me to see the saints that are surrounding the altar, to see St. Peter, to see St. Paul, to see St. Leo the Great. God, help me to see, help me to picture during the, the Eucharistic prayer when the priest puts his hands over the bread and wine, over the altar, and calls down the Holy Spirit, God, help me to see, help me to picture fire descending from heaven down upon the altar to transform those gifts of bread and wine into Jesus' body and blood. Father, right now, help, help me right now, Father, to see, help me to picture your son Jesus standing at the altar. As when the invisible is made visible, it changes everything. It changes everything. Friends, I know, you can open your eyes for a second, I know that this stuff is hard to believe sometimes. I know it's hard to believe sometimes that Jesus is actually present in a piece of bread. I know it's hard to believe sometimes that God's angels are filling this space. But I promise you, it's real. It's real. Like, think about when the wind blows through the trees. Can you see the wind? Yes or no? No, what do you see moving? The trees. You see the leaves moving. Right? The wind blows and it moves the trees. You see the effect of the wind. You see the effect of the invisible thing, right? Guys, that's the lives of the saints. Like saints like St. Leo. Holy people. They are the evidence that the invisible is real. Guys, this is our story and it's unbelievable. Like we're about, we're just a few weeks away from entering into the season of Advent. Who loves Advent? I love Advent. I love Advent. This great, amazing season that's preparing us for Christmas. Christmas, guys. Christmas is the most incredible story that has ever been told or ever been believed by any human being. It's the story of the invisible God becoming visible. You could spend a lifetime thinking about this story. All right, so friends, when the invisible becomes visible, it changes everything. We want to ask God, we want to keep asking God for the grace. God, help me to see the invisible stuff that's happening. Help me to see the invisible realities happening right here at Mass. Help me to see. Amen.